I'm excited about the message this morning. Um, yesterday, when I always sort of through the week, I try to to discern, you know, what the Lord wants me to to bring or to preach on. Uh, and normally, it's quiet until Saturday, <laughs> or maybe it's not. Maybe I'm too busy until Saturday. Uh, but uh, Saturday morning, uh, I was uh, asking the Lord, you know, I still haven't had anything, I haven't heard anything, I don't know what to talk about. And uh, I was preparing to go and pick up the kids, they were at a sleepover. Um, Lillian and I had our first date night on Friday night in like what feels like ages. And it was wonderful. So we hooked again on date nights. Um, I think the first time since we planted, we had opportunity uh, to have a date night. And uh, um, we're really grateful that more and more people are sort of stepping up and picking up some of the things so that we can have things like date nights. So thank you. <laughs> um, Anyway, so this morning, after that morning, I woke up, uh, had to go pick the children up early because they needed to go to gymnastics uh, classes, and um, the Lord just spoke into my heart and said, talk about forgiveness of sins. And there are two ways that you can think about this. Say, really? Like, everyone knows what it is to forgive. <laughs> and then the other thing is, I haven't really thought about that yet. I haven't really thought about really what it means to forgive sins, you know? What, what is, why would you ask me to prepare a whole preach on the forgiveness of sins? And uh, as, I, as I dove into it and, and did some study, and um, I actually uh, found, like in all things that I study, is that there's so much more to it than what we perceive or what we think or what we understand. And I think if we take any, any topic that is around the gospel, and we're really going to dig deep into it, uh, you will find that there is so much more. And at the end of the day, it all shows and leads to one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. Um, and our call as believers to be conformed to Him and to look like Him. So I want to dig into that. I want to dig into the... Um, the topic of the forgiveness of sins. Why, why is it important? Why is the forgiveness of sins an important aspect of Christian life and what we do and what we believe? Actually, can I stop there? I feel like I need to pray. Uh, yeah. You are the Spirit of Truth, Holy Spirit. And I ask that you reveal your truth in our hearts this morning. Uh, I ask that you bypass our minds, our intellect, and that you plant your seed of truth in our hearts. Um, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that every heart will receive what you plant so that it will bear fruit that gives you glory 
please um, take my words and take my mind and conform it to yours in the mighty name of Jesus. I'm deeply dependent on you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Good. Sorry, I just felt like I needed to. So why is it important? Forgiveness of sins. Is there anyone who has something to To become free. Yes. Free of what? Why? Free of what? Say it. Bitterness. Can't stand in front of God. Yes. If you're still bound by sin. That's exactly it. The forgiveness of sins is the baseline, the basis of everything we believe. It is on what it is. Christ is a manifestation of the forgiveness of sins. That is what he manifested. And, and, and as I dug into this, I, I, I started realizing that, that he did not just forgive our sins. And maybe for me, I don't know if I can express it, but he literally came for this purpose and reason, the forgiveness of our sins. Without that, we would have no Christianity. We would have no relationship with God. We would have no freedom. We would have literally nothing that we build our faith on without the forgiveness of sins. And, and maybe we need to talk about it because it's something that we sort of take lightly um, in our day-to-day walk with God. That He actually came to forgive our sins. Um, So I want to just frame it a little bit and just go literally into the word forgiveness. And there's a a Greek word that is used and it's sort of important to, I I don't like to like do all this theological stuff and Greek words and things like that. I'm not trying to sound clever. But for us to understand a passage that we're going to read just now, we need to just look at this word. Um, In Dorothy Emino says, I get verkeerd sê. Nee. Maar Aphesus is the Greek word for forgiveness. Um, and that betekent letterlijk to release one's sins from him. To remove it. Om het heeltemal van jou los te maak. To release one's sins from him. To take it away. To separate it. To dismiss or pardon or make free. Or release one's sins from him. Om het Nee, so far as the east is from the west, is said the word. As far as the east is from the west, I will remove your sins from you. But now, God is fair and is just and is righteous, and especially if we read the Old Testament, we see that every sin, every offense. Because of justice, because of, because of 
the righteousness of God and because everything about God and all His people must happen in complete righteousness and justice, every offense must have a penalty. Every offense must have a penalty. And we read in Leviticus 24 uh, that he says like an eye for an eye and a broken bone for a broken bone and a life for a life. And we read that if you kill someone's animal, you have to pay for that animal. You have to pay the value of that animal. And if you kill a person, then you must be killed. And then Jesus later explains, he says, even if you curse someone, you speak death over him, that actually means that you are supposed to die. So because of the righteousness of God, because God is just and he cannot just mark us as this not because that would be unjust. There has to be payment and the penalty for the sins. And true forgiveness can only happen once the penalty is paid. You cannot be pardoned just by someone saying, there's okay. I forgive you. It's a heavy issue. Moe nog nie terugsit in jou stoel en sê, oh goodness, this is too heavy. There's good news. But this is how we need to understand it. We need to understand the fullness of this. We need to understand... So, God created in His mercy, He created the Levitical order. Priests, the priesthood. So what priests could do, and this is also something that we need to understand, is, and this is where the term Passover comes from, is priests could then sacrifice an animal, and the sins of the people would be passed over, for a term, but not forgiven. This is uitgestelde betaling. On credit. You can sin on credit. But for now, let's just you, you slag your lamiki. Nee? And your sins would be passed over the Lord with sort of like overlook our sins for a term, for a year. But they had to yearly go through this whole sacrificial system so that the, the wrath of God would be appeased for a certain term. But it is not forgiven yet. It's just sort of set aside for a time. And it's important for us. Um, the, writer, the writer of Hebrews actually uh, explains this very well. I'm going to read it quickly. Hebrews 10 says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. 
For the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There is, um, uh, that is why when Christ came into the world, He said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or the offerings of sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God. As it is written about me in the scriptures. Remember him praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Say, Father, if it's possible that this cup be removed from me. But not my will, but your will. Fulfilling that scripture. First Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifices of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. There is only one way that you and I can be separated and freed from our sin. And Jesus did that, that sacrifice. There is no other way. No amount of work, no amount of, no amount of time in jail, no amount of sacrifices, no amount of anything. Would cancel out our sins. Nothing. And that's the difference between Christianity and other religions where you have to work your way into the heart of whatever their God is to please Him. But God cannot be pleased in the presence of sin. We understand that. For God is holy and God is just and God is perfect. And therefore we have to be holy and just and perfect. And therefore each and every one of us need the forgiveness of sins, not just the passing over of sins. So Christ's primary purpose for becoming man was this. You have given me a body that I can sacrifice. His primary purpose for taking on flesh was the sacrifice. You have given me a body that I can give. That is That's wonderful. So Christ knew this when he started his ministry. 
And I want to pick up the story of where Jesus was baptized. And the Holy Spirit filled him. And immediately the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days, says the Scriptures. And he came out of the wilderness filled in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says. And he started doing, manifesting the kingdom of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then one day he went into the synagogue and uh, they gave him a scroll to read from. And they gave him Isaiah uh, 60, 61. And this is what he read. And I want to focus a little bit on this to show us that his primary reason for coming even from the beginning was the forgiveness of our sins. So he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because, because shows uh, purpose. Why is the Spirit of God on me? Why am I here? Why did I come become man? And why was I filled with the Spirit? Because for this one reason, He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then in, in some translations, that's not a point, that's like a a double point of a comma point, which means here comes the explanation of this good news. All right. And he says, he has sent me to proclaim or to preach release to the captives and the regaining of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the, uh, to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to tell them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled, even as you hear it being read. So he's saying, I am the one. But now, here is the, the wonderful thing that I discovered in this. is the release of the captives. Uh, the deliverance, some translation says. The word for deliverance is, this is why we wanted to use the Greek word, is aphesis, is forgiveness. The forgiveness of the captives. You said freedom. There is no freedom without forgiveness. Let it sink into you and let Holy Spirit talk to you about where you still need to walk in forgiveness. There's no freedom without forgiveness. Not just you forgiving, but you receiving forgiveness. I've met some people that have made their guilt their identity. They will not walk in freedom. I've met some people that keep believing the accuser about past guilts and past things and they cannot walk in freedom. 
So if I were to translate Ephesus into forgiveness, then it says, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to forgive those, or bring forgiveness to those who have been conquered and taken captive by the power of sin. Because that, that term captives, the Greek refers literally to a prisoner of war. One who has been conquered by the sword and taken into captivity as a prisoner of war. Now in our minds we would say, why would a prisoner of war need forgiveness? <laughs> How can forgiveness relate? You know, I'm the victim here. But when the enemy has taken you captive, and there are many, even in Christ, who are still in bondage, who are still captive, because they have not received the forgiveness that Christ has given. It's a strange and crazy thing how we can still believe in Christ, but not receive His forgiveness. Jullie lijken mij allemaal zo weird vandaag. <laughs> Then he goes on. Uh, to set free those who are oppressed. And once again that word for set free that is translated like this in translations, is also Ephesus. So once again, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to forgive those who are oppressed and are bruised and are broken. And what I'm hearing in all of this is that our captivity and our brokenness and our bruisedness, and all those things, all these hardships in life, and we are dealing with a lot of hardships, a lot of hardships, is the result of sin. Illness is the result of sin. It is not just random. Now, I'm the last guy that when someone comes to me and tells me that he's ill, I'm, gonna, I'm the last guy that's going to say to you, what sin do you have in your life? I'm not saying the indirect or global or overall result of what Adam did is brokenness and sin, uh, is brokenness and illness and death and destruction. Because Adam gave Satan legal right to come and take captive those who belong to the Lord. So what Jesus is saying is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to come and undo what Adam did. Ne? And there's in Romans 5, Romans 5. But it is through forgiveness. 
we must link the sacrifice of Christ to the forgiveness of our sins. It's very important for us if we want to live in freedom. If you want to receive healing, if you want to receive uh, hope for your oppression, if you want to receive freedom from whatever is there on you, you have to first receive the forgiveness. Very important. Now the problem is that there are also those who think that I have nothing to be forgiven for. There are those who think that even because I believe in Christ and because Christ has already, Christ has already paid for my sin and, and all that, that, that there, is, there is no more sin. There are those The New Testament <laughs> says something different. And we'll go into that now. And I wanna, I'm going to start with this illustration from, from Luke 18. Luke 18, 10 to 14 says, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Next any tax collectors, <laughs> Do you know why they were despised? Because they actually paid the government for the privilege of collecting taxes. It was like it was not a job that they came and said, Do you know what? Niemand anders will do nie, They actually paid the government a fee and said, Can I please be the one that goes and take every, takes everyone's money? Because I think they determine the amount of tax that they take. Anyways, a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Thank you God that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at, the, um, at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now I went to have a look at the word justified. And I always sort of use the word justified to, to say it sort of plays on just as if I had never sinned. I was wrong. Justified legally literally means that I have paid for my sin. I have sinned, I've done wrong, and the price is paid. I've done my time. I've paid my dues. Like what we read in the beginning in Leviticus, I've given my eye for an eye. I've let them break my bones because I broke someone's bones. 
I have paid for the cattle that I have stolen. That is when you are justified. You are not justified when it didn't happen. See, we, we think that because of what Christ has done, God no longer sees our sins. That's wrong. He sees every single one of our sins. He sees every single one of my thoughts. Every single one. He does not look at me and only see a perfect little boy. He looks at me and he sees everything that I have done wrong. And he says, you know what? Christ paid for that. He paid the penalty. And that is why you are justified. You are not justified because I don't know what you're doing anymore. See, the the blood of Christ doesn't make us blind to God. He doesn't see Jesus when He looks at me. He sees me. And He loves me. And I am justified because of what Christ has done. I'm not justified because, oh no, it didn't happen. The price is paid. And therefore the sinner who could stand before God and say, I need forgiveness, is the one who received forgiveness. And the one who stood before God and said, oh, I can just go on because I'm doing, I'm ticking the boxes. But the condition of my heart is not God-like at all. It does not glorify God. What is the sin that Romans 3 talks about? Is that we all sinned because we all fall short of the glory of God. Not we sin because we didn't do this or didn't do that or didn't do that or didn't do that. We sin because we fall short of the glory of God. And I don't know about you, but in my journey, especially now that I'm, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit is really teaching me to, to, to walk with Him in everything and every way. And, and, just, and, and the more I do that, the more He makes me aware of my sinfulness. I have so many thoughts every single day that does not reflect His glory. And then Holy Spirit brings that to my, to my mind. He brings it. He says, that does not look like God. Doesn't condemn me. Doesn't clump me. He doesn't. He says, that doesn't look like God. And then I repent of it. In other words, I change my thinking. I change what I do. I change my direction. So that I can walk in the way of the Lord as best I possibly can. And every single time when he deals with this kind of thinking, then I'm a little bit closer to the image of Christ. And then he deals with that kind of thinking, then I'm a little bit closer to the image of Christ. That's what we are predestined for. One John one five ten says, if we claim we have no sin, this is written to the church. Believers, not written to sinners and those who still need to come to Christ. This is written to the church. If we, including himself, 
claim that we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive. There's no more sacrifice. There's no more offering. There's no more payment that we need to lay down. But we still need to receive the forgiveness. Verstaan jylle wat ek sê? And that comes by living a life of repentance. James 5.16 Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you can be healed. I said earlier, even illness is the result of sin. Some people don't get free from the illness because they're living in sin. They're not receiving the forgiveness. They're hiding away some stuff. I don't know what. Sometimes that is the case. In many of the instances where we have prayed for people and then it's like it's just no breakthrough. Holy Spirit says, forgiveness. Where is, that? Where is the unforgiveness in their heart? And many times the people forgive and then they receive the healing. Why? Because Jesus says, unless you forgive, your Father cannot forgive you. And unless your Father forgives you, the sin has legal right in you. Forgiveness delivers us not from the presence of sin, but from the power of sin. I'm going to say it again. Forgiveness does not deliver us from the presence of sin, but from the power of sin, from its dominion. What was it? Is it James or Peter that says that we, that we live in an evil world? Seize the day. Make the best. For the day is evil. It is all around us. And I don't know of you, but my flesh, he wants to do his own He wants to do his own thing. He wants to get angry. He wants to scale out. He wants to sin in anger. He wants to lust. My flesh wants that. But it has no more power over me. I said to our men's group on Friday morning that one of the things that I regularly do is that I speak to my flesh and I command it. I command my flesh because I have authority over it to come in line with the Spirit of God. To follow the Spirit and not your own flesh. Because I've given, been given authority over it. Romans 6, 9, uh, 6, 6 to 11 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin might lose its power in us. Sin might lose its power in us. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Not we were set free from sin. We, who can put up his hand right now and tell me 
that it is impossible for him to sin, to go against the will of God, to fall short of his glory. Who can put up his hand right now and say that it's impossible for me? I cannot. Like if I, if I want to speed, if I want to break, like go faster than the law says I am, like my car just breaks. My foot just can't, just can't do it. No one. It's possible. Who can say it's impossible for me to, to sin in my anger or in my, in my desire for, for self-righteousness or whatever? Like when I want to scald someone, it's like... <sighs> it's possible. But until we realize that we have received dominion over the flesh... What's the last fruit that is mentioned? The fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. Fruit of the Spirit. Self-control. I can decide to choose to do the will of God. Or I can decide to choose to do the will of the enemy. See, when I was still in darkness... Okay, so i when I was still in darkness, when I was still in captivity, when I was still under the dominion of sin, I had no choice. Even though I wanted, now Paul goes and he re recollects that in, in, in Romans 7. He says, even though I want to do the right thing, I find myself doing the wrong thing. Even though I want to do good, I find myself doing bad. And then at the end he says, who can save me from this? Oh, wretched man I am. He says, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ who saved me from the dominion of darkness. Dominion. We're not saved from sin. We're saved from the power of sin. Now he goes on. He says, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And then he says, so you also should. In other words, it's not natural. It's, it doesn't just happen. You have to change your mind. You have to change your thinking. You have to change your understanding of how this works. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. I think we sometimes misquote the scripture that says that God will not tempt you. And then we don't do the rest above what you can stand. But God has given us to withstand every temptation in Jesus Christ. He has given to us to be free from that bondage. Because He has forgiven. And this is the good news part. The gospel doesn't stop here. The gospel doesn't stop that we are now just forgiven 
And God has, and Christ has paid. That, that is good news enough, <laughs> really. Christ has paid for us. Since Christ has paid for what we, for what we have done, He has paid for my every single uh, iniquity. But it doesn't stop there. If it did stop there, if it was only true, if that was like the whole gospel that Christ paid for our sins and and finish and clar, then we would have the license to be free to sin and not free from sin. Do you see the difference? If we would go out of here knowing if I were to teach you, guys, don't worry. Doesn't matter what you do. Christ paid for it. You know, free ride. The rest of your life is a free ride. Just go for it. Just enjoy it. And one day when you come to heaven, one day when you, when you, you, you just knock on the door and the doorkeeper says, who's there? And I say, there's Yaku. Say, why should you come in? Oh no, Christ paid my ticket. And then, okay, yeah, come in. It's not how it works. If that was the case, then the moment you give your life to Christ, you might as well go to heaven. Why then stay in this evil world? But the whole truth is, the whole gospel is the part that we need to bring in along with it. If it's because of the forgiveness of sins, Christ took away, removed our sins from us, and then He made us a new creation. Because of the forgiveness of sins, we were able to become new. Like we read just now in Romans 6, so you too should consider yourselves alive to God. I think a little bit earlier, let's say, so you should walk in newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 was Kennedy Fares and all Bayer Allah. Say, if any man is in Christ, how are you in Christ? Forgiveness of sins. There's no being in Christ without forgiveness of sins. If any man is in Christ, he has become a new creature altogether. So he did not just come and wash us clean. He made us a new creature, a new creation, filled with His glory, filled with His power, filled with His fullness, filled with His nature. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, once again, if it was just automatic, then it would have said, by His divine power, God has, uh, we have a new life. We have a new godly life. Like, not the everything we need. He, he has to put the need in there because it's something that you have to apply. I can apply something. If I have to apply something, I need something to be able to apply it. If it's just natural, then there's nothing to apply. Then I don't need anything. First one. 
God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Your new man, you who are a new creation, share the nature of Christ. And you do not have to be ruled by the corruption of human desires. Because Christ lives in you. Because He doesn't only live in you, He has made you, your inner man, your spirit man, to be like Him. To be holy as He is holy. To be completely righteous as He is completely righteous. But now Paul says, work out that salvation. Manifest that in fear and trembling. Manifest what Christ has made you. And that is the Christian life and the Christian walk. The nice word for it is sanctification. He has made us holy and blameless and beyond reproach because of the blood of Christ. That is our spiritual reality. That is who you are in essence. But to learn to walk this out is called sanctification. To learn to become who you are. It's like upgrading yourself all the time to become like the true you. And this from the very beginning, from the moment Adam sinned, God put this plan in motion. He made a promise to Adam. He said, you will step on the head of the serpent. Actually, not you, he said, your offspring. Your offspring will step on the head of the serpent. That was Jesus Christ. And then he will have no more dominion and power. For this very reason, so that we can look like him. Romans 8, 29, it's my last verse. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Other translation says he predestined them to be conformed to the son. It is only possible if you receive the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins, or not rather, let me put it this way. That sin gives legal right to the enemy to still come and steal, kill and destroy from you. To keep you in bondage. Now I don't know why, but Christ did not take sin away. He broke the power of sin. 
and for you and me to break the power of sin in our lives, in whatever is still holding you back, in whatever is still, like Paul says, throw down every weight that entangles you and that keeps you from running the race. It comes through forgiveness of sins. And that is why we're going to do a corporate, we were supposed to only do that in two weeks, but I thought this morning we're going to do a corporate communion this morning. For the forgiveness of our sins. To thank God. 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks about this thing, and he spoke about it on Wednesday morning. He speaks about misusing the table. And he goes, he like first goes on about people that just come and just use this stuff. In, like they come in first and they eat all the bread and drink all the wine and then they get drunk. And then he says, if you do it in that way. But then he explains very nicely, he says, if you do not come to the table and first consider yourself. You are drinking a judgment on yourself. So what this table is, it's an opportunity for us to consider ourselves and say, Lord, where have I not received forgiveness of your of sins? Where have I not received the fullness that you have paid for this? I think many times we first want to, like, Stop doing it and then felt like we earned the forgiveness. And that empowers the sin. Paul says it very, very clearly. But if you want to break the power of sin in your life, receive the forgiveness which Christ has bought and then you will walk in freedom. I've come to forgive those who are still captive. I've come to forgive those who are bruised and oppressed and battered. So when we use communion this morning, let's do it like that. Ask Holy Spirit, Lord, help me receive forgiveness and as you receive forgiveness you are freed out of that prison and you are free not to go and sin again but to walk in dominion over that and that is the gospel so I'm going to I'm going to put on some some light music and uh, on your time take the communion and spend time with the Lord
who feels good. I feel good. Things are a whole lot different if we don't need to plead before God anymore for forgiveness. But just come before Him and say, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. It makes me feel alive and free. Not condemned and heavy. Lord Jesus that you have set us free we receive your forgiveness Lord yes I keep thinking of the lady that was caught in adultery Pharisees wanted to stone her. And then he says, He who has the f- most of the no sin, for the first stone, and let it up all that. And he looks at her, he says, Do none of these condemn you? And he says, Neither do I. And we think, How can he do this before the cross? Because she actually needs to pay. But he is Christ. And he is outside of time. And in him and him he was slain before the foundation of the world. In his perspective. Therefore he could walk and forgive sins. Something the Pharisees couldn't understand. In his perspective it was already done for the foundation of the world but then he goes and he says to her now go and sin no more and that is our life as believers receiving forgiveness and repentance walking in righteousness may the Lord give us grace to do that